Hello, welcome to another episode of Taj Talam. Uh, today we're continuing our series through the Democratic uh, presidential candidates for 2020. And today we'll be covering Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, we will be talking about her life, what her policies are, as in the Lift Act and the Rent Relief Act, and also her her record as a uh, San Francisco DA. And Reefer Gate. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, back back at it again. All right. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Taj Tellum. What are we talking about tonight? Oh, this episode we are covering Kamala Harris. Ah, uh, Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, our for our current senator and former... Wait, she's our senator? Oh yeah, yeah. She's a uh, senator. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wait, when did that happen? Same same night Trump was elected. Oh my gosh. No wonder I didn't hear about that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, there are other things happening that night. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of screaming, a lot of angry texts. <laughs> a lot of tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sound of democracy dying. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I mean, he was democratically elected, I guess. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, today we're going to look into Kamala Harris. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, what if, uh, what were your thoughts on Kamala Harris, uh, you know, going into recording this episode? He, she, I think she comes off as somebody you don't want to mess with. True. Which is what the Democrat, the Democratic Party really wants, that somebody's rally behind. Because to be honest, you know, at this time, I've already resigned to the fact that it's not going to be policy driven. (laughs) At least for the first few debates. At least for the first few debates. No, that's very true. Because I think in the beginning, um, the American public just needs to get acclimated, just to get to know who these candidates are. And so it's almost entirely personality. It's, it's, all, it's all style, almost no substance. And so that's where I think uh, you know Kamala Harris shines. Because uh, she... You know, beyond her just natural presence, I also think that, you know, her ethnic identity is helping her uh, in very the sense much. that, you know, she even got... Ethnic sh- and gender. Oh, yeah, no, very true, because she was even able to get that time to kind of deliver that zinger to Biden, because she was like, hey, as the only, you know, African-American person on stage, I think I have a right to speak about race. And so, you know, and I also think that... Cory Booker was like, why am I not bust? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Mom, why? Dad, you should have bust me. Well, I mean, he was on first night, and he was first night, yeah. so, you know, he, he didn't go, get quite uh, the opportunity to kind of, you know, play the race card, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Kamala Harris, you know, she she understands like, hey, you know, like race is one of the uh, main uh, indicators of identity. we use. And also, um, you know, Kamala Harris, she also has another ace in the back. Like her her family is uh, our immigrants as well. Oh, yeah. Her mom's from India originally, right? Mm-hmm. So she's got all these things that she just boom, the race card, the woman card, you know, and pretty soon she's going to get Oprah's uh uh, endorsement too, you know? Yeah, you know, if she continues to survive in the primary, I could definitely see her as, like, uh, a, a credible candidate for, like, the Hollywood celebrity types to begin to rally around. Uh, just because, one, you know, uh, there is this sense of, like, virtue signaling in the sense that, yeah, if you're supporting, like, not only, like, a woman candidate, but, like, a minority, then it makes you look very progressive. And so, you know, that's something that supporting, like, a Joe Biden or, like, a Bernie Sanders just doesn't really necessarily give you that kind of cred. And, and unfortunately, I think uh, just the fact that you're supporting a woman in L.A., in, in the L.A. area, that's just, that goes a little further than than most yeah and you know i i know some of our listeners may be listening will be like oh that's such like bs you know like 
you know, why does identity matter so much? And, you know, if you have that opinion, you're welcome to have it. But reality is it does matter. You know, I was <laughs> I was actually chatting uh, with some girl on one of these like dating apps. <laughs> and then she brought up that, oh, like, you know, she's a big fan of Kamala. And I was like, oh, so what, what do you like about Kamala? And one of the main reasons is because Kamala Harris is a woman. Yeah, pretty and, much. And so, you know, like it or not, like that's just <clears throat> the way that the electorate uh, is viewing things on these very like simplistic kind of terms. And so, you know, knowing that reality, Kamala Harris looks like a pretty strong candidate. Because if she's a woman and I'm a woman, then she's going to fight for my rights. I mean, that's one argument. You know, it, it's that idea of like, um, like I think it's called descriptive uh, representation. That idea that, you know, for example, like, uh, yeah, uh, Kamala Harris, you know, being a woman, she'll be more sympathetic to women's issues like uh, women's reproductive rights and so forth. Uh, her being, um, you know, a person of color, she's going to be inherently more sympathetic for uh, issues uh, relating to people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, uh, I, I know you did some research on on her family background. Yeah. So you know, Kamala Harris. Um, for those who don't know, she. A lot of people say she's not only, um, you know, uh, going to be the first like um, uh, African American woman um, president if she wins, but also first Asian American. And I think, you know, we, uh, that, that term, we, we've discussed this in previous episodes, but that term Asian American is uh, kind of a bullshit term just because, you know, it, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, Asia is what, over 20 different countries, no common language. I mean, uh, if no you think about it, Russia is part of Asia. You no, know, fair. Yeah. No. So I don't, I don't necessarily think, I think that's, yeah, it's a nonsense term, but, um, I think the reason why they say that though, is because her mom, uh, is originally from the subcontinent of India. Yep. Uh, she came here um, as part uh, of her education, and she uh, refused to go back to India <laughs> to go back to her arranged marriage, yeah. and she instead stayed here. So she's a strong, independent woman. Um, America corrupts them all. <laughs> or gives them liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back in India, they don't have, they don't have to do work. <laughs> they just they just stay at home hey, take Wendy. care of the kids hey wendy's listening to this podcast. ah crap oh we just lost our 100 percent of our viewership uh, unsubscribe <laughs> thumbs down <laughs> one star rating like us if you're all right <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> we're gonna get deep platforms exactly <laughs> That's how we get, that's how we make the news. Yeah. <laughs> now you can only listen to us at Infowars.com. <laughs> you can tip tip our Ethereum jar and our Bitcoin jar. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, so ba family background. Oh, yeah, so she's, uh, her mom um, was uh, originally from India. Or her dad was African-American. Um, she actually, they were both uh, political activists. So Kamala Harris actually grew up uh, attending like political rallies. She grew up in Oakland or something. Uh, like that, yes, right? correct. She grew right. up in uh, Oakland, the Bay Area. Uh, that's where I'm from. So, hey, Bay Area, go. Um, and I think what was interesting is even her sister uh, kind of uh, became an activist. I think her sister uh, was a top policy advisor for Hillary Clinton's uh, 2016 presidential campaign. Oh, so she's um, corrupt then. <laughs> well, she knows how to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Wait, press that. Whatever. Laughter, laughter, laughter. Oh, God. Which That deserves that deserves a laugh. No, true. Um, you know, but she is uh, a Stanford Law School grad and one of the youngest people ever appointed as a dean of a law school. And Wait, so, are you talking about her or her sister? Oh, her sister, oh, uh, Maya. Wow. Uh, 
And uh, but her mom, uh, she actually uh, divorced her father uh, and raised actually both Kamala and her sister. Um, and she was like some like top scientist or something like that. Right? Uh, oh, yeah. She was a prominent breast cancer researcher, uh, you know, while being a single mom. So she's, a, she's my hero. Oh, no, she, no. She, she saves boobies. <laughs> Making the world a better place. Yeah. One boobie at a time. And, uh, but, you know, she, unfortunately, she actually passed away uh, 10 years ago. Uh, she passed away of colon cancer. Um, and so, uh, actually, while Harris was uh, running for uh, attorney general. Uh, but she did get a chance to see Kamala Harris become a district attorney of San Francisco. Um, and what's interesting is that, um, you know, growing up, uh, Harris actually was, uh, you know, <laughs> politically uh, engaged. She, along with her sister, organized a children's protest to overturn a no-playing policy in their apartment building's courtyard, uh, and they won. And so, to oppose a no-playing policy? Oh, yeah, yeah, so that, to allow the kids to play in the courtyard. God damn it. <laughs> Fight the power. There you go. There you go. Um, but what's interesting, though, is, you know, she shared that she, uh, one reason why she went uh, out of activism and into actually working for the man is she said she wanted to be uh, on the other side of that door when the activist came knocking. And so, because uh, I guess she, you know, by having parents who were activists, she saw kind of the shortcomings of that approach. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the kind of sordid details, though, out of her personal life was that she actually was uh, engaged romantically with uh, uh, former mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown. Um, oh, okay. She was 29 years old uh, when And they he met. was like 32, right? Uh, oh, uh, times two. He was 60. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And so uh, a lot of people, you know, they thought that this relationship, you know, wasn't necessarily motivated by love and instead was motivated by uh, more of her ambition. Because uh, Brown actually appointed. Well, that's because she's not Marianne Williamson. So. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he act Brown actually appointed Harris uh, to uh, on. She was uh, on the California Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board, and the other was the Medical Assistance Commission. I and heard those like those jobs rake in like high, like ninety thousands. Okay, and you know this this was you know back in nineteen ninety four, so that was actually a lot of money back then. Okay. Um, okay. And so she actually held both jobs uh, when she was still now. Now Willie Willie Brown, he was he was single, right? Oh, so he was actually still married, uh, but estranged to his wife. So uh, you know, even the cases of it is a little you know a little gray. Um, and so they actually both uh, ended the relationship the following year after she was appointed. <laughs> that was too. Wait, 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 wait. This man, he's like, I'm not gonna talk. I'm not gonna talk to my wife. I'm gonna date you. And no, the, you want you want these positions? Yeah, I'll give it to you. And then, hey, what? What? Wait, wait, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying this guy's a saint, but <laughs> oh, poor Willie Brown. It's <laughs> heartbroken. Now, now, to to her credit, my understanding is Willie Brown. Um, his situation is very well known. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, his estranged wife situation <clears throat> and having extra marital affair. In, on paper, but in form, he was pretty much divorced from his wife, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine just because, I mean, that, that's a pretty public uh, relationship that he yeah. was engaging in. So, I mean, And he was, he was mayor of San Francisco before the appointments or after the appointments? Because I know he was city council for, for a while. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not certain uh, time frame wise, but apparently, I mean, he did have the power to put a 29 year old on these two boards. So, <laughs> what are these two boards again? Uh, they were the California Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board and the Medical Assistance Commission. So, um, so know. as a 29 year old, am I more unemployment? Yeah. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> all right, you need some stamp. Uh, and you know, we wonder why we don't trust our government. <laughs> Okay, and then, and then for the web, the the medical board. Let me look at what WebMD says. Hey, this is hey ninety four. No WebMD. Oh no WebMD. Okay, mm. okay, okay. So let me see so what the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica says. <laughs> let me bust out my TI eighty three that does nothing. <laughs> I play games on this. I'm gonna play. I'm play fucking Snake. <laughs> that I have my friend program like for a day and a half. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's how I made my lunch money during high school. <laughs> Dude, you're Elon Musk, bro. Boom. <laughs> hey, where, where's my billion dollars? <laughs> uh, and I heard she broke up with him uh, via letter. <laughs> Man. That is the older form of breaking up over text. text. Yeah. At least she didn't ghost him, I guess. <laughs> no, true. Very uh, true. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I, I have to say she's a smart one. She's a smart one. She knows what she's doing. No, very fair. You know, she she uh, she's no innocent dove here. You know, she uh, she this cat's got claws. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but now she's actually married to uh, a patent lawyer. Um, Ooh, that's that's money right there. Oh yeah, and that's actually why she actually has the second highest income, uh, household income, of any candidate other than Joe Biden. Um, I think her uh, her household income last year was almost two million dollars. Um, 1.5 of that was from her husband, and then she had about 300000 from her memoir and about 160000 from her uh, salary from the Senate. Man. And so, yeah, you know, she, she knows how us regular Americans know how to live. You know? mm-hmm. Oh, $2 million, this mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not much these days. And I, I guess after all that money, you just go, uh, I'll be president. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, what's interesting is that... Um, you know, looking at her record, you know, she truly has, um, actually, let me back this one up. Um, so one of the reasons why I think her character is relevant uh, is because I think right now she's getting a huge pass, you know, from the media, from the American public about her record. You know, because she is you know, African-American, uh, they automatically, you know, people automatically assume, oh, she's very like pro, you know, African-American issues like criminal justice reform, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at her record, uh, that's not true. Well, I mean, she was in place uh, during the 1994 crime bill. No, very true. And so, you know, um, I think there's a couple instances. And during that during that time, tough on crime was the thing. No, true. You know, so it was politically expedient for her to kind of take the position she's going to take. And so, you know, as we're about to go through a record, I think an important thing, if you're considering supporting Kamala Harris, uh, to really uh, see how credible uh, she is going to be in championing uh, your issue. You know, because, you know, let's just kind of get through it. So, you know, one is that, you know, uh, she did not support legalizing marijuana, uh, although she claimed uh, <laughs> although she claims to support it now. So, you know, how credible is that? Uh, she did not support two state ballot positions to end death penalty. So and now, you know, she's given lip service that she's against it. Uh, she did not join the fight against solitary confinement. Uh, she did not support a ballot initiative reforming California's three strikes law, 
which incarcerated people for life for petty crimes. And so, you know, any claim that she makes about criminal justice reform, you have to take with a grain of salt. Her record does not at all back this up. And you can tell that the reason why it doesn't back it up, I don't know what her personal convictions are, but obviously she doesn't listen to them. She listens to her more political considerations, as you can see by her record. Because I think um, Hillary Clinton used to win on the whole, you know what, you know, what's the good thing about Hillary Clinton? She listens. She listens. She listens. She listens to you. Not if you're in Wisconsin. Ah, or Pennsylvania or Michigan. There you go. But basically, it's kind of saying, hey, she listens to what everybody's saying. Then she goes, all right, this is what I support. Weed blown by the wind. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, do you want to stick with somebody like that? Or do you want somebody who's convicted throughout their life, throughout their career? And I think that says more than just figuring out what's it politically expedient no very true and so you know i want to kind of dig into you know a couple cases that uh, really put this to light okay um the first is uh in some instances her office argued against the release of prisoners who have been proven innocent and so um you know one case no you know what she's she's right she's tough on crime She's locking up motherfuckers who didn't do 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 any crime. Yeah. She's so against crime. She's a, she will even lock up the innocent, innocent people. Because <laughs> no. this is really tragic case. So this guy, you know, he uh, two police officers were responding to a report of like a bar fight, and then they saw this guy. Apparently, uh, they testified. These police officers testified seeing this guy take a shiny metal object out of his waistband and throw it under the car. And then they searched the area and they found a double-edged knife uh, six inches long. And so uh, this guy's attorney during the original trial didn't call any witnesses on his behalf, even though he maintained his innocence. And because he had two prior convictions for a burglary, he qualified for a lengthy prison term under the three strikes strikes law. law. So he was sentenced to 28 years to life for this. And so, you know, he maintained his innocence. The Innocence Project actually took on his case. And then when a U.S. District Court magistrate heard uh, the testimony that jurors weren't able to, a testimony from three witnesses saying they saw a different man, not Larson, uh, with the knife. One of those witnesses was a former correctional officer visiting from Tennessee who was formerly served as the police ch- as a police chief in North Carolina. So a very credible witness said, no, it was this other guy, not him. And so as a result, you know, he was declared innocent and he was ordered release. But did Kamala Harris's office release him? No, because, you know, they argued that, oh, he filed his paperwork a little late. So we're just going to keep him in there. And so that is monstrous. That is absolutely monstrous. And you know why? What motivated, um, according to a Stanford uh, professor of law, he claims that what what motivated her and her office not to release this innocent man is that they were trying to prevent an onslaught of legal claims by prisoners who have what they think of as tenuous arguments. And so because they just didn't want to deal with that caseload, you know, they were willing to put keep an innocent man in jail. And so I think that's evidence of her putting, you know, the her own political ambitions, her own selfish considerations of that above that of even justice. You know, an innocent man could have potentially spent 28 years to life in jail for a crime he didn't commit because of Kamala Harris. And I think that is detestable, you know, that that she would miscarriage justice to that degree. Just because you don't want to open up all the other cases to question. Exactly. You know, um, you know, one of the reasons why she uh, actually doesn't have a 
a lot of support within the African-American community is because, you know, of her role as a DA, they view her as kind of co-opted by the man. And I think perhaps, you know, this, you know, kind of projection, this kind of stereotype, uh, perhaps is a little true, you know, because she's demonstrated it, you know, uh, through her record. You know, there's also this issue of truancy. Are you familiar at all about her? I think um, you touched on, on, on it last time, but go ahead. Okay, so... You know, one of the things she's really known for is uh, championing in, in the California state legislature uh, a truancy law that made it a criminal misdemeanor uh, for parents to allow kids in kindergarten through eighth grade to miss more than 10 percent uh, of school days without a valid excuse. And so, you know, the the reason Harris's uh, reasoning behind her support for this is that she uh, learned that a dispor- disproportionate number of the city's homicide victims uh, were high school dropouts and that dropouts are more likely to become perpetrators or victims of crimes. And so preventing truancy, she argued, was not just about the noble goal of ensuring every child's education, but a matter of averting future criminals. And so this is an example of why people think that Kamala Harris is quote-unquote thoughtful, you know, because she can recognize this relationship between, you know, for example, truancy and, you know, uh, rates of like homicide and crime. But this is now, though, where I argue that she is not thoughtful enough, because although that relationship is true, her trying to use the criminal justice system to address it is very thoughtless. You know, I think she should have thought a little more about this, because when you actually see it played out, um, you know, this ends up just exacerbating the problem, because it's not that these parents, you know, who, uh, you know, whose kids are missing a lot of school, it's not that they're really irresponsible or really negligent, but the truth of it is that, you know, they're, they're generally uh, poor. Um, they're generally single parents. Um, you know, there's one case in particular of a woman who was arrested uh, in Buena Park uh, because her child missed, um, you know, too many of these, uh, too many school days. And it was because her child had sickle cell anemia. And so the child, you know, had to go seek treatment often, didn't feel well enough to go to school. And, you know, because they were using the criminal justice system to try to enforce it, the school administrators, they took a very kind of hostile position toward her. You know, they're very skeptical. It's like, oh, can we see a doctor's note why she's missing? You know, versus saying like, oh, wait a minute, taking a compassionate tone. Oh, your daughter's not feeling well. I wonder if there's resources we can try to connect uh, to you. And she even complained that, you know, she asked for resources and they were denied. And so this is where, you know, the danger of using the criminal justice system to enforce uh, these kind of policies is when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so even, you know, the school administrators, they're thinking, okay, this is a crime now. So we got to treat these people like criminals. And so we have to use like force against them. And so what's very tragic, though, is this mother of this child, you know, she's not only a single mom. uh, She had her mother uh, get uh, experience a stroke. So she had to take care of her mother. She had to take care of this sick child. And so, you know, rather than try to help her, they're trying to throw her in jail. And so it's something like, you know, that, I don't think that is a thoughtful policy proposal at all. Question. <clears throat> Did the mom turn in the tardy slip one time? <laughs> or was it was it not submitted on a timely bit manner? You know, perhaps that's what it was. You um, know, maybe. She maybe, should just bring her kid on a timely manner, yeah, right? You know, maybe, yeah, maybe Kamala is just very punctual. You know, maybe if you <laughs> care about punctuality. Yeah, she's your Kamala, president. Yeah, Kamala Harris 2020. <laughs> if you care about things getting turned in on time. Boom. You know. 
<laughs> oh, this is not this is this is not be good because I'm an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's gonna be a lot of people in jail. <laughs> you pay your taxes late three times. Yeah, you're going in the slammer. Be careful, Jack. Be careful. <laughs> you know, but you know one area where she isn't tough on crime uh, against the police, uh, police, uh, police shootings. Um, you know, there was actually a very famous case of Mario Woods who was shot over 20, 26 times by five police officers back in 2015. Uh, there actually is even a video uh, on it on YouTube that you can watch of the shooting. 26 times. This guy must be doing some dirt. <laughs> the man was holding a knife, and the police are saying, oh, you know, he was charging at us. It was uh, a threat to our safety. So he was charging at them with a knife. Uh, actually, no. You look at the video, the the man, arms on the, by his side, walking away from the police, and they shot him in the back. So you charged at him backwards? Uh, yeah, maybe he was doing the moonwalk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, the boy's got moves. Yeah, he's got moves, you know? Uh, maybe he's oh, a knife man. thrower. You know, so, I mean, it's, no, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, it's, it, it was obviously a case that yeah. the police were wrong, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, maybe there's cases, I'm sure there's cases where, you know, that kind of force perhaps is justified. But I don't know, 26 times, you know. But And the man doesn't have a gun. The man is Dude, holding 26 that. times. That means if you just have your own handgun, you have to uh, reload. And then if you have three other handguns, that's like a, a whole clip for a person. Oh, no. So, oh, so 26 between the five officers. The five so officers. That, that's oh, about like a, a five, five, five shots each. But when you watch the video, it's just a pop, 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 pop. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. is. Um, no, it's split second. It is. But, I mean, you know, the thing is, the man was walking away. He wasn't rushing toward anyone. The man, uh, you know, he was holding a knife that is not a projectile weapon. Uh, at no point are these officers actually in any danger, you know, when they shot him. Uh, even the guy recording was like, hey, that's on. That's not unnecessary, you know? Like, well, you didn't have to shoot him. And so and even the San Francisco Police Department settled uh, with his, the guy's mom for like $400,000. And so it's something where, you know, once again, Kamala Harris, you know, being African-American, uh, she gets a pass on this. You know, if that was a white DA, there's no way with that kind of record, you know, that person can claim uh, to support, um, you know, Black Lives Matter or you know African American issues uh, when it, when dealing with the criminal justice uh, you know reform, but you know she gets she, a pass. She has something against people holding knives. <laughs> the first guy was a knife wielding oh, no, guy who was true. in jail that's for twenty eight you know, years alive. <laughs> she does not like lot knives, boys. If you're against if you're against knives, she's your candidate. You know, so. <laughs> if you want everything to be punctual yeah. and you hate knives. For your for if your life depend on it, this is the woman for you. Kamala twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's one thing to say that oh perhaps she has changed her ways, but this this is all very recent history. I mean, this police shooting that I'm re in referring to is back in two thousand fifteen. Like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not that is not ancient history. You Whoa. Know? So, you know, I don't think it's credible to say she had this miraculous change of heart and she's gonna be this completely different person, you know, now. Uh, and so that's why I just find a record deeply, deeply problematic. Um, and what I'm surprised by, though, is that the media is just largely giving her a pass. So, Ooh, you are right. The I think uh, the left-leaning media—I don't know about the right—but the left-leaning media is giving her a lot of softball questions. Oh yeah, you know, and I and I do think it goes back to this like oh, we just got to beat Trump mentality, where we're willing to you know sacrifice the truth, and so it's something where. You know, 
I think it's very myopic and short-sighted because by the time the general election comes comes up, you know, th- these are huge liabilities. So what do you, what do you think? Are, do you think beating Trump, how, how important is that of a factor for you? You know, because this whole like just anti-Trump sentiment, you know, then by that logic, Hillary Clinton should have won. You know, and so, you know, why didn't she win? There's a number of reasons. But one of it is what what exactly was she running on? You know, and you can say that about Joe Biden. What exactly is he running on? You can even say it about Kamala Harris. What exactly is she running on? You know, and so actually, you know, I think maybe that's a good opportunity now to kind of look at her policy positions to see what exactly her platform is. You know, I mean, we, we gave we spoke a little bit about like the perception of her being for criminal justice reform. But I think it's important to see what her actually uh, her signature policy pro- uh, proposals are. And so, um, you know, I know her main policy proposal uh, is the uh, LIFT Act. So, uh, Jack, do you want to uh, explain to our listeners what the LIFT Act is? Oh, so the LIFT Act is designed to lift the middle class. And uh, the LIFT, L-I-F-T, not L-Y-F-T, is um, not an act for... I mean, we're not going to get drivers. We're not going to get free uh, rideshare. Uh, no, not this time, not this time. But it, those 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 rideshare drivers will probably get a bigger bigger tax credit because of this Lyft Act. Okay, so good for Lyft drivers. So Lyft is called livable income for families today. Boom. All right, we always have to come up with very smart names so that it could become an acronym for something that sounds positive and uplifting. Hey, there you go. So. <clears throat> If you tuned in, uh, if you listened to our podcast the other time, we talked about the earned income tax credit. Uh, so the earned income tax credit, um, basically, it's saying, hey, if you work, if you earn under earn under a certain amount, and you have this many qualifying kids, then that means you qualify for this amount of taxable refund, and you get that in the form of a check, or it goes against the income taxes that you owe. So if you're a single man, 15,570, you get $529. And then you can have up to 3 kids and earn up to $50,000 from 15 to 5050 and get $6,557 of tax credit. So from no kids to 3 kids that's $6,000. Okay. That you get extra. So Kamla wants to lift that up. And say, right. hey, we're gonna increase that. We're gonna we're gonna give that to you if you qualify. But if you don't, if you make under fifty thousand dollars, we'll give you three thousand dollars a year. And okay. you get to get you get you can collect that on a monthly basis if you want. And then that breaks down to two hundred and fifty dollars per month. <sighs> Universal basic income, baby. Well, uh, <laughs> right. I, I don't know if that's basic income. Wait, that's not basic income uh, enough. Yeah, and I don't think that's universal either. Oh, what? It's not. Oh, wait. Okay. Well, it's true. It's only for middle income families. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you, if you earn what, if you don't earn any money, then you're not getting it. And if you earn more than fifty thousand dollars a year, you're not getting it. That is correct. So the cap for a single person is fifty thousand. Cap for a couple is a hundred thousand. So no marriage penalty. And then it goes from $3,000 per year to $6,000 per year. So if you break it down to a month, $250 a month to $500 a month. So, I mean, yeah, hey, you know what? That still helps people, right, if you're in that in that category. Uh, and then so the, the Center of uh, Budget and Policy Priority says that it would lift 
9 million people is out of poverty. So because it's designed only, it's, it's more for, a, it's, it, it helps our progressive tax even more because it actually filters some, f- filters some of the tax, much, uh, tax refunds down to anybody below $100,000 if you're a couple or $50,000 if you're single. So uh, you, Terrence, if you make under 50000 you can get $250 a year, a month. But if you make over that, then nothing. I see. So I'm going to get nothing. You're going to get nothing. And then so, so yeah, because you're making like $500,000 a year, right? <laughs> uh, in, in this America. Only if uh, we, we pick up uh, maybe 2 million subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, uh, so yeah. Now, what you're saying is if you go to the other extreme, so you can't qualify unless you earn money. So meaning if you earn zero, you get zero. But if you mm. earn $1, you get $1. Okay. And it's dollar for dollar until you get to 3000 mm. So if you've earned $3,000 from some any source that's paid income, as earned income, then you get $3,000 of tax credit. Okay, so uh, you mentioned like 9 million people this is lifting out of poverty. So does that mean that only 9 million people are going to benefit from this lift out? Uh, actually, 80 million people would qualify for this. 80? 80. 80. Okay. So, uh, so it is, she touts it as the largest middle class tax cut ever, hmm. which in some metrics is true. Other metrics, no. But in general, most of the time, most of most policy experts agree that this has a larger wealth impact on the middle class. I see. But uh, I feel like that's a very uh, misleading um, statistic just because I think, you know, how the distinction of what middle class is, I feel like that is uh, a little gray. I mean, it's where you live, right? Exactly. I think, I think I saw the, uh, just to be considered middle class, you have to earn 125,000. In what, New in York City? San Francisco. No, New York, I hear, is like 200. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, I take it that, um, you know, this lift act is not going to be variable across where you're living. That is not. That is correct. It's not variable where you live. Um, it's just based on your tax, you, you know, your taxable income, your, your gross income. And that's how they determine whether you qualify for this 3000 or 6000 Kamala ever explain where she came up with these figures? Like why $3,000 a year? She never did. Um, everything I could find doesn't point to, uh, th- this act has been very under the radar. Hmm. Uh, mainly because I think that it doesn't really do too much. Um, and it's nothing, uh, it, You, as you can see, you got you to get really into the deep, that mm. details of the numbers in order to figure out, oh, how is this going to work? But um, not a lot of people are talking about this. Not a lot of articles, not a lot of uh, uh, people going into the the, the, the minutiae of this bill or the, this act. Because I went to her website and I agree, you know, no explanation of where she came with that $50,000 threshold, uh, where she came up with uh, $3,000 a year. Because uh, personally, I mean, just my own, you know, judgment. You know, $250 a month, not going to do a lot. You know, that's maybe a car payment. You know, so I I mean, obviously, hey, if you want to give me 250 bucks, I guess I'll take it, you know. But I, I just, I don't see, is that necessarily the wisest use? And um, also, isn't that just going, oh, man, like, then maybe I shouldn't wait, make that extra 
two thousand dollars above five that fifty k. No, you're right. Or, it sets up a very negative uh, incentive where you know you want to cap your income at fifty thousand. You know, which I think is counterproductive. Uh, I don't think I think that may end up um, you know either keeping more money off the books, so lowering tax revenue, uh, or uh, you know, people limiting the size of our economy by people not wanting so to, lowering, to work more. So lowering tax revenue is correct. It's going to lower our tax revenue by $2.8 trillion over the next 10 years because it would, uh, there's going to be a couple effects, um, but primary the effect is going to be, you know, there's going to be taking mon- more money and giving it to other people. And then the other effect is going to be, there's going to be people in that threshold where they don't qualify and they're just going to opt to not work to qualify for this. Uh, so you're saying like uh, people who earn more than $50,000 a year, like you and I, will be paying for this? Oh, for sure. For sure. So that's that's also the part where it doesn't go into detail. So I, uh, everything, we've talk, uh, everything we're going to talk about with Kamala Harris, I have no idea where the money is going to come from. Mm. It they don't they don't want to talk about it or they choose not to talk about it or it's just so such common knowledge that I I, I took they took it for granted and I never they never explained it to me, but basically they're just saying uh, what I think is happening is Kamala Harris is what they she wants to do is to get rid of all the Trump tax cut because I believe the Trump tax cuts actually would offset about three trillion dollars and this is where she was going to get that two point eight trillion dollars from. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like a lot of her policies um, really see, uh, seem to be uh, focusing on, I guess I would call the, maybe because we live in Los Angeles, I would call the lower middle class. Um, I don't know if you, you, you've uh, read much about the Rent Relief Act. Yes. Uh, so uh, for our listeners, what is the uh, Rent Relief Act? Is to relieve you of your rent because the rent <laughs> is too damn high. No, that's fair. The rent is too damn high. Now, first of all, we need to preface this. Like, uh, a lot of people think rent is just a unidimensional issue. What do you mean? Which is landlord bad. <laughs> Renters good. Aren't you a landlord, Jack? I am a landlord. Ooh, oh, so you're so, bad. Oh, man, I hate that. Actually, you know what? Because I'm a landlord, I would love the Rent Relief Act. Oh, how I so? would love that act. All right, so... First of all, let's go through the numbers. Got it. I like to bring this to you because you live in a very diverse diverse neighborhood. So in your area, in Los Angeles, is, is your is it 90? Okay, I don't want to say your zip code actually. <laughs> but yeah, so you live in Beverly Hills, right? Hey, no, whoa. <laughs> Beverly Hills adjacent. <laughs> so uh, no, she... He, live in West LA and uh, in February of 2011 I looked this up on rentjungle.com a one bedroom apartment in your area runs about $1,358 per month and that that was back in 2011 that sounds about right okay in February of 2019 so exactly eight years later so that that first one was February 2011 February 2019 eight years later same bedroom, par- one bedroom apartment, two thousand four hundred and fifty-six. Mm-hmm. So that is a increase of seven point seven one percent per year. During that time, inflation per year was less than two percent. I see. 
So that means these rate inc rent increases was just getting too ridiculous. Real wages weren't growing at all. Nominal wages was growing at around 2%. And then after the tax cut, a little bit more. But basically, that's that's the problem we have. So a lot of uh, candidates has been asked about this whole rent issue. Uh, so, of course, a lot of people, the first thing they do is rent control. That's what we want to do. We rent control because the press, prices are going too high. So we want to control the prices. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't work. So I have to give uh, Kamala Harris props for this because she didn't just reach for the easiest tool. Um, she just she actually went and looked at the problem and tried to solve it. So basically, she's saying if you spend 30 percent of your gross income, including utilities, if that is your rent is over, including utilities is over thirty percent of your gross income, you are eligible for a refundable tax credit, and that tax credit would come at a share of difference. So, the difference. Let's say you earn a fifty thousand. Let's just say in in a situation fifty thousand. Fifteen thousand is thirty percent. So that means if your rent, including your utilities, go over fifteen thousand, any of the above am amounts above that, the federal government would help you pay. I see. Now there's uh, there's a limit. If your income is below twenty five thousand dollars, they will help you pay a hundred percent of that difference. Okay, up to. Uh, oh, good question. So up to what, right? Because what if I'm just earning $25,000 and I go to like, a, yeah, I live in like fucking Brentwood or something like yeah, that. Yeah, live in right? a penthouse, yeah. So then it's capped at the 100% of, I found this out, small area fair market rent. I see. So the small area fair market rent uh, in, that, in, in that area is about seventeen fifty. So that means the difference between 15000 and seventeen fifty, or which comes out to twenty one thousand per year, is six thousand. So, of that six thousand, if you're if you're making under twenty five thousand, they will they will compensate you for, or they will give you a refund for six thousand. Mm -hmm. So, in this situation, if you're earning under twenty five thousand dollars, you can possibly get a six thousand dollar. Uh, tax credit a rent relief act which is also is just a taxable refund and also a three thousand dollar lift act and then you can still you get your eitc and then your child tax credits hmm. it's just building on top of each other yeah so i mean like uh Kamala harris really seems like the candidate for the lower middle class then. well yeah that's what it seems like um so when you uh, now, and also, if you live in higher, in a pricier city, and also, you, in order to qualify, your your gross income has to be below one hundred thousand dollars. So, for pricier cities, she raises that up to one hundred twenty-five thousand. Wait, is that for a single individual or a household with two household married two married cut people? Okay, so that's actually a very misleading number. Then that's more so fifty thousand to sixty thousand per person. Well, yeah, person. but I guess with rent relief, they can only look at a household at a time. Oh, that's fair, but uh, just to clarify to our listeners who think, "Oh, I earn less than hundred thousand, but you know, it's, it's oh, yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, they, I don't remember seeing what it would be for like a 
single person in a sense. Yeah, because, you know, even on like a like a hot, you know, uh, an expensive area like New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, like $60,000 a year, you know, it's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Uh, so basically what she's trying to do is trying to say, hey, instead of us going in and saying, hey, landlords, you need to clean your shit up and you need to uh, be fair with your price adjustments. Um, she's going and she's going on the demand side and say, hey, if you can't afford these, here's some money to afford your rent. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think there are some flaws with this model. You know, I, I think an example is that um, just like with college uh, tuition, the moment the federal government started uh, subsidizing colleges with the Pell Grant, tuition skyrocketed up. And so the landlords, they know, hey, with this money coming in, we're just going to raise the rents uh, you know, to these thresholds. That's exactly. I, now, in that's, it's not that. I don't, I don't think landlords just go in and go, all right, we're going to raise the rent. But yeah, definitely going forward, like, oh, yeah, hey, this is a rent relief act. So you're definitely getting help with rent. So, all right. And so, And if not the fact that these landlords aren't, let's just say these landlords aren't, uh, you know, meeting secretly and, you know, trying to price, price gouge everything. But it has an effect on the behavior side because now if you have a rent relief and the landlord raises the rent, you're going to be a little bit, bit more okay with it. And thus the landlord goes, okay, since you're okay with it, next year I'm going to raise the rent a little bit more. And you're still okay with it. So it's an equilibrium. It's law of supply and demand. You raise supply, you lower prices. You, know, you raise demand, you increase prices. It's just that simple. And basically what this side is doing is we're just increasing the demand because we're letting people stay in the homes where they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford based on their current economic status. And I think that has a terrible ripple effect because say you're helping out these lower middle class people so they can afford to maybe live in like middle class or upper middle class, you know, kind of apartments. Then then the people who are normally middle class or upper middle class you know, there's a restriction on supply in the apartments they would have normally rented. They got to go up to these luxury apartments. And so, you know, it makes it more expensive for everyone going up. And so that's where, you know, I actually, uh, I think the Relent Relief Act is a terrible idea. You know, I, I'm in a much more favor of, say, Elizabeth Warren's plan that addresses more so the p- supply side by helping to relax uh, neighborhood zoning, uh, just to have more supply out in the market. And and you, you are right. I think this is also... the. I like her the spirit of her policies, who she's trying to target, who she's trying to help. Yeah, I mean, so this is an example of like, oh, once again, the common refrain we've been saying about Kamala Harris. One is that she cares way more about optics than she does about reality. And then two, uh, it's the idea that she's thoughtful, but not thoughtful enough. You know, I mean, I do appreciate her focusing on this issue. I think, yes, rents are going up. But her solution, um, she needs to give it a little more thought. I think someone like Elizabeth Warren, uh, in contrast, has given it more thought and has what I believe and and many uh, experts believe is a much better policy proposal by addressing supply side. The whole reason why real estate's expensive in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York is is artificial restriction of supply. Uh, You know, because, you know, these single family homeowners, they don't want to have like larger multi-unit buildings uh, built in their neighborhood. So they artificially, uh, you know, uh, keep the zoning in such a way uh, to prevent it. And so that that hurts all of us. And I think it's something where uh, Elizabeth Warren's plan 
um, is, is a lot more thoughtful and saying like, hey, you know, the, these, the interests of these small uh, select few who own these, you know, single family homes uh, need to be overridden for uh, the benefit of uh, the rest of us. So uh, final thoughts. Uh, one, I like from an economics perspective what she's trying to do with those two policies. Um, as you said, like you're saying, just not enough thought, but at least to me, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, not too sure about this whole, her whole criminal justice record at all, especially after today's conversation. But um, just the spirit of her candidacy uh, seems problematic to me. Oh, uh, what do you mean? There is a very... Um, you versus uh, me versus them kind of with Kamala Harris. Uh, it seems like, yeah, if you're supporting, it's about winning your side. Mm. It's not about solving the problems. That's not her, what she's trying to run on. She's not trying to solve those problems. She's just po trying to point out those, those problems saying, hey, I'm the guy who pointed out all those problems and then vote for me with these half-assed uh, policy proposals. So um, there, it, this it's it's fighting and also um it kind of goes into a long align along with her po policy because her policies are geared one racially and social economically mm. <coughs> and i feel like if you base it that way it's going to be too easy for the right to attack it True, because it only benefits a very limited amount of Americans. That's correct. And even though it benefits those limited amount of Americans, there are still Americans out there who who think that, hey, yeah, you don't get, there's no free lunch. You got to keep working. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to, and, and even though, and I've met a few who are, who are not making that much money, but they truly believe in that. Like, hey, don't come in, you know, John F. JFK, the, ask not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. You know, that's what their kind of thinking is. Uh, the strict dad oh, philosophy. No, it is. It is. But, but, um, so it's not really, I can see somebody who has that kind of thinking, but comes from a very low economic, uh, social economic stat status and opposing this. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Taj Tell. If you like what you heard, go ahead and just smash that subscribe button. Or give us a like, a thumbs up, anything to help. And make sure you turn on the notifications. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are. A lot of them. Or Google. <laughs>